0: What really gets my dick hard is. What is- I That's the power of life
1: To license it
0: For sure Just let your soul go Just let it shine through Just let your soul
1: Greetings, my babies. This is Clint Wells here, and you are listening to Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. Hope you brought your butts. Hang on. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Metal up Your Podcast Radio. If you're joining us for the first time and you're wondering what this is, it's a bonus episode. It's just me. No Ethan Luck here today. Just Clint Wells doing a radio episode. This is usually where I share about 10 songs. Sometimes it's music I'm listening to. Sometimes it's music I've been writing. And uh, it will be the case today that we are going to dip into some of the quarantine songs that I've been writing. This is interesting because many of you will have known that I'm what's amazingly referred to as a professional songwriter. What does that mean? That means I have a publishing deal with Rough Trade and I write songs for my job. Some of these songs I write for country artists that they put on their records. Some are for pop artists that go on their records. Sometimes I write songs specifically for film and TV, the sync licensing world. I've written jingles for commercials. I've written uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, one of the ways that I grew my muscle as a writer was I was in Bob Schneider's Song Club in which a bunch of people together through email share a prompt each week. And that prompt, usually a lyric, has to be in the song and you have to write a song a week. If you miss two weeks in a row, you're out. And uh, I joined that club when I met Bob in 2011. I've always written songs. In 2011, I joined his club when I started touring with him, which sort of just really motivates you to get the work done. What I really like about the song club is that It treats songwriting like a craft in that you're not just sitting around waiting for the muse, waiting for inspiration. Sometimes you don't have those things in place and you still got to show up and do the work. So I was in that group for years until I got my publishing deal, uh, which was two or three years ago. Once that happened, I started having to write commercially often. Pretty much anytime I wasn't on the road, I was writing, co-writing with people. And I just didn't have the time to write those little songies. So before coronavirus happened, I was going to take a year off the road and was going to scale back the writing I was doing for my publishing company, just being a lot more intentional and discriminant with who I was writing with, writing with a lot more purpose and freeing up more of my time. Whereas for my first sort of couple of years with my deal, I just wanted to outright everybody on the roster, which I did. And uh, looking back at the body of work I did in those two years, I was, wasn't was as happy with the quality. And I wanted to take this year to sort of get a little bit back in touch with uh, what I liked about writing for me. And one of the uh, few silver linings of the coronavirus is that I'd suddenly had a reason to do that because I sure as hell wasn't going to have anybody coming to my house and my studio and infecting me with their goddamn coronavirus and then giving it to my family, etc. You get it. So it was sort of this forced retreat back into my own writing. And I wrote a bunch of songs that I think are really cool and uh, some of them are, are rock songs some of them are pop songs, some of them are little acoustic numbers, one of them is a Lunar Satan tune. So it's going to be fun. I'll talk a little bit about those songs and, and and sort of how they were written. As usual, I'm also doing an Ask Me Anything. I put it out there on the socials, which you should be following us on, Instagram, Twitter. Those are the two that I really fuck with. Ethan's on Facebook, and uh, we're on YouTube and other, other crap too. But the two really main ones are Instagram and Twitter. Got a bunch of questions here, 20 or 30 questions. And uh, I'll try to get through them. But first, I will play you a song. It is a rock song that I wrote. It's one of the first songs I wrote during quarantine. Uh, I'll just let you listen to it instead of pontificating on what it's about. But I do want to give a shout out to Matt Billingsley, who is a a dear friend of mine. He drums for a a little artist named Taylor Swift. I hear things might happen for her at some point. And uh, Matt and I ride all the time together. And uh, he's just become a, a really cool dude and someone I look up to and who helps me a lot. And I wrote this song and he'd wanted me to send him some stuff to play drums on because he was going stir crazy in his house. So he did that and uh, he did an excellent job. And then my homie Brad Lyons, who I think will be featured a lot during this episode, he mixed and mastered it for me. He's a producer and a mixer in Birmingham, one of my best friends, one of my dearest friends of all time. So he's been doing a lot of cool stuff for me down in Birmingham. So the song's called Full Stop. It fucking rocks. We'll come back and answer some questions. I do hope... You're all well out there. The last time I checked in on a radio episode was right when shit was getting crazy in early March. And of course, here we are almost five months later and uh, you know things are not necessarily better. We know a little more. We've got some muscle for this thing, for this new way of life. But then, of course, the world does seem to be really confused. Well, not the world. The states where I live does seem to be kind of confused. The virus has been politicized in a very insidious way. And so there's a lot of anger and confusion and frustration, a lot of unemployment, just a, a, a lot of dread about the future. School starts this week. I'm, I'm my five, almost six-year-old's uh, new teacher, which is scary. So um, I'm sure we'll be touching on this as the episode goes in. As usual, these are great opportunities to dig deep and talk about a bunch of shit. So we'll do that. But first, let me give you some ear candy. This is a song I love called Full Stop. Enjoy.
0: I got no answers to the questions. So what Street.
1: Full stop. The wonderful Matt Billingsley on drums. My friend Brad Lyons mixed and mastered it for me. Fun little rock song. Really cool. I do feel bad for my wife and kid who are now home all the time and who have to hear me cut all these vocals because they can't hear the music when I'm in my studio screaming these lyrics. Uh, That does go out to them. So let's let's dive into some questions here. As usual, you guys came through, asked a bunch of interesting shit. I can't wait to talk about some of this. I don't really think through these until we get here to this moment, which also, by the way, this is like a tradition on a radio show in that I play these songs, I listen to them with you, so I'm I'm on the ride with you. We are spiritually and emotionally in sync, which, by the way, my wife's favorite band. A lot of people who are navigating some sort of you know cosmic existential depression during this whole mess have been sort of dipping into things they loved when they were kids, and uh, we're no different. My wife has been blasting in sync while she does the dishes, while she exercises. Her 35th birthday was just a few days ago and made a birthday time pretty easy this year, got her a bunch of in-sync shit. So anyway, uh, Tangent City. Bill V asks, do you think the Beatles have the same influence on today's younger generation like it did to the previous generation? Will Beatles music be remembered 50 years from now? Yeah, so let me answer that uh, in reverse order. Beatles music, as long as people care about music, people will always love beatles music and they will always study it because those dudes in 10 years basically invented music now of course they didn't invent music but you know what i mean they invented everything that came after and nothing that came after them wasn't touched by them more books have been written about them than any other artist ever now they didn't invent rock and roll they didn't invent country they didn't invent jazz they didn't invent classical music but they took all what was great about all those things uh maybe not jazz but for sure rock and roll and r&b um and even to a lot of extent a, a classical composition and they made it they made a new art form they created the sound of modern music and then of course that would bleed into everything you know it wasn't just like boogie woogie rock it's it's deep it's deep shit and they did it in t- less than 10 years really and then of course the flame got too hot they split and made a lot of great records in the '70s, but they could never get close to what they did in the '60s. It will for sure continue to inspire and influence generations for sure. It's timeless. I, you know, there are a few things that come close. Uh, Dylan, for sure. I mean, Dylan influenced the Beatles. If you look at what happened with the Beatles between '64 and '65, which is when they they were already listening to his shit. Famously, they got the Free Will and Bob Dylan, his second album, when they were in Paris, and they just were like freaked out about it. But that was, that was a little earlier. But 64, 65 is when they, uh, they started hanging with Dylan. And you'll notice that the Beatles' music changed. You know, That's when you start getting Norwegian Wood. That's when you start getting uh, No Reply, I'm a Loser, Babies in Black, more self-reflective stuff. That would, of course, launch the Beatles into their mid to late 60s psychedelia. And think about the records they made, dudes. Revolver. Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour, The White Album, Abbey Road. So it's a great question. It's fun to think about. I mean, people who've been on the ride with me for a while know that I'm, I'm a Beatle freak and I've studied them a lot and just an, an endless fountain of joy in their music. And it's contagious. And you know, they're one of the only bands that everyone generally agrees is the greatest ever and they're not overrated. Now, of course, there's some butthole out there who, you know what, man? It's never got it. I never got the Beatles. Well, let me assure you, That is a deficiency with you. And that's okay. It hasn't happened to you yet. Sometimes you can't control these things. Dylan didn't happen to me until last year. This late in the game for me. Here at the ripe old age of 36. I mean, I always heard Dylan. I knew of him. I heard the goddamn songs. But why did it hit me last year the way it did? I don't know. And so if that hasn't happened to you with the Beatles, no problemo, but the problem is yours. It is your problem, but it's no problem. I'm okay, you're okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. All right. Moving on. Graham Stark says, what do you think would be one of the good or positive lasting changes after the world returns to a bit of normality, either for yourself personally or in general? Well, I'm not generally a very optimistic, hopeful person. I'm not really pessimistic either. I'm kind of neutral. I'm kind of a wait and see dude. I like a provisional stance on things. And I don't like to be disappointed. And I like to mitigate disappointment by curbing expectations, which is something I learned as a young man. I know for me, I mean, I haven't spent this much time with my daughter since she was born. And like I said, she's turning six. I've been touring my little rear end off, well, for a long time, especially since she was born. So spending all this time with her, being forced to slow down has been really good. And I do think that it will inform how I navigate forward through the world. My wife agrees, something we talk about a lot. And I think that's true for a lot of people. People have been forced to slow down. And people have been forced to really think about what matters. I think for people who take the virus seriously, which I'm one of them, and I hope you are too, it's made me a lot more just health conscious about shit I touch. I understand Asian culture wearing masks all the time now, even when there's not a global pandemic. It's because they live in a society and they're sending signals, right? Hey, I don't want to get you sick. I maybe had a bug last week. I'm a little sick. Maybe you don't shake my hand. Maybe you don't lick my ear again. I like that. It's cool, but think about everything you touch when you go to the grocery store. I was just watching people the other day without masks at the grocery store, like just talking over the produce section. I'm like, man, I never would have thought about that before. In general, I don't know. Time will tell. As I said before, the virus has been 100% politicized. So how we move through that is going to uh, be really dicey, I think, because I think even when there's a vaccine, the vaccine is going to be politicized. There will be people who refuse to get the vaccine. And it's similar to the flu. It's not going to go away. This is something we live with now. So I really don't know. And I'm not necessarily pessimistic, but I'm also not very uh, hopeful about things I can't envision yet. Again, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. One more question. We'll do another tune. Dirty Pots writes, where do you stand on the Pearl Jam 10 reissue versus the original? So a little backstory, huge Pearl Jam fan. They reissued their, their debut album, which many consider a stone cold classic. It's called 10, had big songs like Jeremy and alive and even flow and black they remixed it Uh, the band is this happens all the time the the shit you make when you're a young dummy once you learn how to make records you think oh man we did not know what we were doing well they're no different that happened to them so they took a lot of the reverb out they just remixed it now i have that vinyl i bought the the uh, pressing of 10 that came with both versions i think i probably listened to the remix one time and honestly, it's just, they made like sonic improvements, I guess, but it's just too weird because Pearl Jam 10 is one of the most listened to records of my entire life. I've been a Pearl Jam fan since day one. So to hear it remixed is just, it's, it's odd. I feel the same way about Justice. I, I, I feel like if they remix Justice with more bass, it'd feel weird. Because how many times have we all listened to Injustice for All? A thousand? A couple of thousand? How many times have I listened to the song One? Ten thousand times? So hearing it new would just be weird. It's not the song I love. Now, there is the only album that was remixed. By the way, Pearl Jam did that again with their self-titled album, which I have on vinyl with a completely new mix that I haven't even listened to. Now, who knows why that is? It's my least favorite Pearl Jam album, but I don't even have any curiosity about it. So what does that say? I don't know. But R.E.M., my favorite R.E.M. album is a, is a, underrated gem called Monster from the 90s. It had some big songs on it. What's the Frequency? Kenneth was a big hit. <clears throat> Bang and Blame, Crush with Eyeliner. But the deep cuts are killer. Star 69, Strange Currencies. I, I just love the album. Well, they put out similar thing. They issued it on vinyl with a complete remix, probably for similar reasons. Eh, we don't like the choices we made. We were dummies. We were on cocaine. Who knows what it does? I made that up. <laughs> I don't know what drugs they were doing. Surely they were doing drugs in the 90s maybe not, who knows. I'm going to choose to believe they were. I'm going to choose to believe that they were uh, shooting black tar heroin intravenously. That's just something I'm choosing to believe about REM with absolutely no evidence. But nevertheless, last year when they were, I guess it was the, whatever, 20th or 100th millionth anniversary of the album, they remixed it. And I loved it. And it's the one I listened to. So I guess, you know, philosophically, I don't mind it. It just depends on the record. And it depends on, on how you feel when you listen to it. You can't control what you like you can't control what you like speaking of not being able to control what you like i love the new taylor swift album it's called folklore it's really cool you guys should check it out i'm not going to talk too much about it except to say this next song is the most recent song i wrote i wrote it a few days ago all in one day came really quick and it's definitely inspired by the sound of that album it's very low-key 80s sounding melancholy and achy let's call it vampire hope you like it check it out
0: shadow sadness the years give away to madness never in a single place too long I've been waiting for your dark dishade and kissing lips distant But
1: Vampire, I can't tell you how nice it is to ooh. let the synth ring out, no fade, huh? Oh, there it goes. I can't tell you how nice it is to not have to argue with anybody about my songs. Co-writing is great because you're making the song better, you're refining it, especially if you're working with people that you care about and trust and respect and all that. But you're still sort of arguing, and one of the things that I kind of bring to the table is like strangeness in the lyric, and Nashville don't doesn't like that. Songs have to go from A to B and make a lot of sense because, you know, I think that I think there's a lot of cynicism and people think they're writing for dumb people. Whereas I like lyrics that are just emotional snapshots. They just they're almost like dreams. They don't really go from A to B. You know how a dream isn't linear? They just evoke a feeling and the feeling sort of tells a story. Anyway, without sounding like a pretentious douchebag. All the songs that I'm playing for you today do that because I didn't have anybody going, I don't know if that lyric makes sense. Wait. If verse one was here, why is verse two here? The time's different, the tense is different, the feeling's different. I'm like, dude, fuck that. I don't say that, but that's how I feel. And so it's been nice to just not have an editor and to just really let it come fast and let it be what it is. And the songs kind of are emotionally more resonant to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, I do, but not really. You sort of make sense of it afterwards. It's it's top down. Anyway. More questions here. Yesterday's Imperfection says, has your vision for Metal Up Your Podcast's longevity changed from when you first started? What hopes do you have for the podcast going forward? I don't know if they've changed. I mean, the goal was always to be consistent and be good. And so that goal remains. Be consistent and keep the quality high. Do the research. Edit well. If you're going to go on Tangent City or you're going to try and be funny, make sure it's funny. And I get it. There are some people who who think that some of the shit we do is not funny. There are some people who hate the show and who listen every week, and they write into us. I, of course, can't do anything about that. That's a mental illness. But some some people don't like some of the voices, some people really like it. I can't really worry about it. I just can't. How can I assume what you all do and don't like? All I can control is what I'd like. And that's sort of the metric that I I judge it by. And that's all the same, I, it really is. And then uh, other than that, I don't think too much about it. Plans for the future, Keep keep the consistency, You know, we've got a framework for moving through the rest of, you know, the active years of Metallica. We're listening through and doing a lot of commentaries now, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, Something we should have done, really, on the front end. But, you know, like most things, the more we do it, the better we get. Having more people in the Metallica universe on the show, you know, just making a great body of work, a big, huge document for any people who love Metallica in the future that can just deep dive. Because as a band, they're like the Beatles. They're the Beatles of metal, in my opinion. And there will always be groups of people who want to investigate Metallica who are learning about them. So I hope that answered your question. Thank you. Uh, Jay Bird Aurora's Eyes asks, when searching for a studio or a producer to work with, what are some things you look for that are a must or what are some red flags? Okay, well, if you're hiring a producer, they're probably going to be the ones that find the studio unless they have one. So if you're not self-producing, the producer is more important. And you, know, you just want to find someone who you vibe with And who understands your vision for your project because they're going to be your teammate. They're basically going to be part of your band. So if they don't understand what you're doing and if they can't get you to the finish line, you got the wrong dude. If they want to try to imprint their own sound on it, you know, some producers just have a sound and they do that to all their artists. So they're almost like artist producers and maybe that's what you want. I've never really been into that. I know what I want to sound like. That's what I love about Paul Mo. If I were a band or an artist looking to work with Paul, he would take you to coffee or have a beer with you or whatever. He he'd meet with, you know, he does a lot of meetings with you first to just get a sense of who you are and what you want to do and see if he can help you get there. That's what you're looking for. If you're self-producing and you're looking for a studio, obviously budget is going to determine what you can get, but you want a good room with good gear. There's a guy I use here when I produce stuff. He's got a great studio for a great rate, and it comes with him as an engineer, and he's also a dope keys player. So the the day his day rate I think is 500 bucks, but it comes with all the gear, so he can use any of his mics, anything. He can run the, all the sessions, and he can play piano and organ, and he's got like roads and organs, pianos. So I'll do that just to get drums, vocals, and keys. And if I'm working fast and I know exact and I know how to kick ass when I'm on the clock then that's a great use of 500 bucks, dude. Get two or three songs and get great takes of all that stuff. So that's stuff to look for for that. Cool question. Interesting. All right. Anya asks, hello Anya, nice to hear from you. What was it specifically that got you into the Michael Jordan documentary? She's talking about uh, The Last Dance, the sort of famous documentary that, that exploded onto the scene a few months ago about... The greatest, uh, not only basketball player, but probably athlete of all time, Michael Jordan. I've had a well-documented obsession with the documentary and with Jordan since then. I wear Michael Jordan jerseys every day now. I have several pairs of Jordan shoes, hats, shorts, and I now play basketball once a week with some of my friends. So the connection, I don't know. I mean, there's something attractive about watching someone be the best at something. I like his story. I loved him when I was a kid. All these things are sort of factoring into it, I guess. And it just hit me at a time when I was sort of spiraling into a really unique for me depression where I I was having a hard time experiencing joy, which is really scary to me. And nothing that I loved was bringing me joy. And so when I watched The Last Dance, I was getting back in touch with that feeling. And because I was so scared about how empty I felt, I just latched onto it. And in a way, it sort of got me over that hump a little bit. So without trying to sound too dramatic, I think that's, that was the main thing that, that latched me onto it. And then, of course, it's just an amazing story. It's an amazing story of someone so driven to dominate something and I think human beings are, I think we're evolved to respond to these. They're almost like mythologies. And we, we try to see our own story in it. We, we try to graft some of that onto our personal lives. And so who better to do that with than the greatest of all time? Michael Jordan. All right, let's listen to another song. Now, I've played this song before, but it was just right when I wrote it, and it was just my little demo of it. I've since finished it. This is with my friend Rachel Loy. We have a side project called Attention Machine. This is easily the coolest song we've ever written. It's called Get a Life, and my friend Kevin Rapillo put real drums on it, so there's none of my programming shitty shit sauce. Rachel put a bass on it, which is way better than my bass playing, and my friend Brad Lyons mixed and mastered it. So this is a fucking awesome song. If we ever put this out, we have a whole album's worth of stuff that we're currently getting mixed, And if we ever put it out, this is going to be the first single. Very few people have heard this except for you guys. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's called Get a Life. get a life attention machine love that song killer brad did an awesome job mixing that one really explodes there in the third chorus cool lyric cool guitar playing really neat really neat stuff guys really neat more questions here lauren ochi singh says what's the guitar you would choose to pick up and jam right now well i'm very lucky i have a lot of badass awesome guitars that inspire me that can all do different things and they're all right here uh, within reaching distance. Um, my go-to guitar when I'm doing sessions from home is this awesome Reverend Telecaster that I got. I found this Reverend guitar, a different one, called a Flat Rock, um, on tour in Michigan. Fell in love with it, bought it, bought a second one in a different color. And then I got this telly. They make all sorts of stuff. I mean, when, when things are rolling again and touring again, I, I plan on getting more of these. Because they're pretty affordable. They're all around a 1000 bucks, And uh, they just have a cool vibe. I love them. I also have this uh, my badass Gibson Gold Top, my Gibson ES335 right here. Cool stuff everywhere. Interesting question. Thank you for asking it. Kyle Serafini asks, "What upcoming movies are you excited for?" Another great question. In a normal time, I would I would have answers for that, but because I've sort of been de- you know depressed and not really watching or paying attention to film culture, I don't really know. I don't know what's coming up. Uh, the new Christopher Nolan film *Tenet* looked pretty cool. I like his stuff, although I did not like *Dunkirk* very much. I'm like one of the only people. In the world that really didn't like his last film, Dunkirk, I I tend to I tend to hover around people's bodies of work. So it would just if if I knew that like, you know, Brian De Palma had a new film or Quentin Tarantino already had a new film, or any of the people that I that I like and pay attention to, I would automatically be excited about. It's like, you know, the new tool album, the new whatever. I'm a fan of a lot of these people. Timothy Chalamet, I believe, is doing a Bob Dylan film. He's he's doing research for that. That sounds interesting to me. But to be honest with you, it's just a weird time for me in films. I I don't really know. I've, I've kind of let that go just a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully that comes back. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. I'm ready for it to come back. But again, you know, you you in so many ways, you're almost this a, a passive observer of your strange existence. So, Coco Brazier asks, "What's your favorite Jack Black movie?" I feel like the right answer to that is High Fidelity because of how quotable it is, and and honestly how great it is. And uh, I love the novel too, Nick Hornby. But I think the answer to my favorite Jack Black film is actually Orange County, starring Jack Black and Colin Hanks. Uh, I don't think it's a good movie, but I have a lot of very positive, nostalgic feelings associated with it. And it's a movie I would put on just to feel better. And that's going to win for me right now at this stage in my life. And speaking of feel goodness, let's jump into another tune. This is a song called I Got You. It started out, I was hanging out in my kid's room. She has a little baby Taylor guitar that I got for her. I tuned it open just so, because when she's banging away on it, she doesn't know how to make chords, but she can strum. So when she's strumming, it's not some atonal nightmare. It's actually a nice, whatever chord it is. I don't know. I just tuned it open. So I was sitting in there with her, just playing with her and strumming on her guitar and making up funny songs. And this chord progression fell out that you're going to hear in the song called I Got You. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is, because writing songs, again, the whole bit passive, you're, you're almost like a passive observer of life. Songwriting can really feel like that. One minute you're just hovering in the cosmos, Second, this, the next second a song is like falling onto you from the fucking sky. And that happened with this. And I got—I was trying to get her to sing on it. I wanted to just turn it into a kid song, but she wasn't really interested in that. And so then it turned into the song that you're about to hear. And it's kind of cool. It's like I was writing it from the perspective of like a kid falling in love. And then it sort of turned into a comment on sort of what's happening in the world and and just being afraid but wanting to help. That's sort of what it what it became. So it's called I Got You, and I hope you enjoy it.
0: Catching light in the sun Shooting ghosts with our old cat guns We catch fireflies and set them free Oh, cause I got you big You know that you got
1: Acoustic guitars I tracked with my kid's guitar. It's cool. It's cool to hear that. It's a fun little document. Um, All right, cool. Oh, I want to say also Kevin Rapillo on drums on that tune. Everything else I played and that hasn't been mixed or anything, but I did want to give a shout out to my buddy, Kev, who's been playing a lot of my stuff uh, the last couple of months and just crushing it, man. Crushing it. Of course, you know, doing it from his own studio, etc. So, all right, moving on to some questions here. You guys really asked a lot of cool questions. I want to make sure I get to them all. Stan Pearl asks, do you think rock will ever be big again like it was in the 80s and 90s. Well, conventional wisdom says you never say never, and why wouldn't it get big again? But my hunch is no. I don't, I don't see it. Because culture moves forward. Things just move forward. There's occasionally resurgences and shit, but not really even. I mean, if you look at the history of music, you know, the history of rock and roll starting in the 40s and 50s, it always just moved forward. There's a mild argument that the early 90s was sort of a throwback to sort of corporate 70s rock. But really, music just moves forward. I think electric guitars and like heavy rock will be involved, but I don't think it'll ever be the way it was in the 80s and 90s. I just don't see it. I'm okay with that. I make peace with that. I don't need it to be what it was. We have all those records. We have all those memories. And people, the way that people discover the Beatles and Dylan in the 60s and Pink Floyd and Sabbath in the 70s, people will always get into the 80s and 90s, and people will long for it. For many people, it's, it's, it represents a golden age of music. But of course, that's subjective, and culture moves forward, and I don't see it being that way again. It's certainly never going to be that way again where little pieces of shit like Motley Crue get to just roam the earth and have sex with anyone they want and do a bunch of drugs and fuck people up and treat women like shit. That's definitely over. And that was a huge hallmark of, of 80s rock. You know, that will probably never happen again. And that's good because that's a really gross artifact and hallmark of that time, in my opinion. Not to get puritanical on you guys, but just being in the industry and, and, and you know, just knowing what those little motherfuckers probably got away with. Well, they, they brag about it. It's in a lot of their books and shit. Not anymore, bro. All right, moving on. Danny Santana says, "Is it frowned upon to check the condition label of a used vinyl in a record store?" Absolutely not. You're buying it. A lot of record stores even have a record player available that you can throw that that wax on and check it out, and make sure it's legit. Especially if you're buying something that's like collector's edition, or you know, if you're if you're buying like an OG Garage Days Revisited, bet your ass I'm pulling that thing out and looking at it. It's not rude at all, dude. And if someone tries to make you feel weird about it, um, <clears throat> Tell them to fuck off. Take your money somewhere else. Sadly, I'm not sure there are going to be a lot of record stores after this whole thing. They were already not doing great. You think a little mom and pop record store is going to survive COVID? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Doesn't seem like it. At Slash In Chain asks, do you always watch movies with subtitles? And the answer to that is yes. And once you crack the code on that, my friends, it is very hard to go back to not doing it. I find that well, what I find when I watch the subtitles and when I, I, you know, meditate on my life before sub, it's like the pearl of great price. There was a time before subtitles and a time after. Uh, I realized I didn't know what a lot of people were saying in movies, and it's amazing how your brain will piece together shit. But why are we playing that cognitive game with films? We want to, we want to know what's going on. We need the info. Turn those subtitles on, baby. You're going to enjoy it, and you don't watch them the whole time. You, 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 you find a way to just find a balance. So now they're on, and anytime I can't understand what's happening, I just, bing, look down, there it is, the info. I I'd highly recommend it. You're, you're really not getting the full information if you're not watching with subtitles. And then, of course, I think people need to watch more foreign films. And you, Unless you speak all these languages, you have to watch that. You should watch Japanese films. You know, you should watch French cinema. You should watch German films. And you should watch world cinema. The great Shit, Ingmar Bergman, Swedish Stuff, uh, Jean-Luc Godard true fall, You should watch all this stuff. Let's listen to another song. Now, this is another song that I've played before. But again, I had my friend Kevin play drums on it. I had my friend Tony Lacito play bass on it. And I had my friend Brad Lyons mix and master it. It's, it's one of my favorite co-writes I ever did. I wrote it with a good friend of mine, Derek Barr, and another good friend of mine, Mike Meadows. And it's a song that I liked so much in the room that when those two knuckleheads left, I wrote my own crazy lyric over it. We, we wrote a very Nashville lyric. It made sense. It went from A to B. One might be able to pitch it in a pitch meeting, which has nothing to do with art. So, But I did that because that's what you have to do. And I'm a professional. I had a good attitude about it. But those knuckleheads split and I was like, I'm writing my own little left of center, twisted, achy jam over this biatch. And I did that. And it's called Best Love. And now you get to hear it. Enjoy. great like 80s Don Henley fade that was fun best love all right hope you dug that next question Monty Piss and favorite tool album how and when did you get into the band uh have you heard the new Billy Eilish song thoughts on her musical direction since her last album okay I'll do these in reverse I have not heard the new Billy stuff everyone knows I'm a big Billy Eilish fan I'm still sort of camped out in that that record where we go and we fall asleep uh, I haven't heard the new song, so I don't know. I I I get strangely uncurious about stuff. I really just let these the music find me and it's hard to explain. A band like Metallica or Pearl Jam, I'm getting their new thing immediately. Anything new they do, I'm getting immediately. There are those bands for me. Dave Matthews is one of those bands. Tool is definitely one of those bands. But Billy is like, ah, whatever she's doing, it'll find its way to me. So I don't know. I don't know if it's different. I know she did a tune for the James Bond film and I know her brother Phineas, who produces and co-writes a lot of her shit, He's kind of doing his own kind of artist career too. So I love them. I got nothing but love for them. I, I wish the best for them. I'm glad they're out there in the world. I can't wait to hear the records she's making in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. She's a true artist, capital T, great vision. Uh, she's changing music and she's a rad chick. So I got into Tool. A friend of mine had uh, maybe seventh grade for me, which would have been 96, 97. So right when Enema was coming out, right, they were... They were they had a big single. I think they won a Grammy for Stink Fist or whatever. So they were on my radar, but it was dark shit. And I don't think my, I don't think I had the albums. I maybe borrowed Undertow. And I remember falling asleep to it and then like waking up to that fucking secret track, disgustipated, where the preacher's talking to the carrots and shit. It was a little much for me. But I do remember a friend of mine had the opiate CD. And I remember just staring at that artwork with that weird like three or six armed God thing. And being really fascinated. Those songs are really short and digestible and packed a lot of punch. I really latched on to Maynard James Keenan's strange lyrics. You know, these dudes are not singing about the how the chick don't like them no more. That's that is not something that is important to them. But like most people, especially of that of a certain age, I mean, when you hear see sober on TV, it's it it titillates you and scares you the video. And you you who can fucking deny that that bass hook. God, yeah and I you know they're one of the most rewarding bands I've ever been into they're a top 10 band for me my favorite album is either Enema or Lateralis I remember skipping school my senior year of high school in 2001 to go get Lateralis the day it was released and I'd already heard Schism and Schism blew my fucking brain apart dude and then I remember hearing The Grudge for the first time which is track one and just being blown away I mean they're just an amazing band did everything on their own terms sell out arenas on their own terms they don't do shit that they don't want to do. And I will always be inspired by that forever beyond music. That's, that's some life inspiring shit for me. MJ level, I dare say. Thanks for the question, Monty. Really cool question. Namarta asked, what movie would you currently recommend? Oh, well, a lot of movies. If we had some time, I'm trying to think of something I watched recently that blew my mind. I haven't really been watching a lot of films. I, I, we did watch um, The Invisible Man and The Hunt, these two newer horror films. They were okay. They weren't great. I'm trying to think of the last movie that just really blew my mind. Oh, Uncut Gems. I would definitely recommend Uncut Gems. And if you like Uncut Gems, I would recommend the directors did another movie called Good Time with the great Robert Pattinson. Those are two movies to definitely check out. Great cinema, for sure. If you haven't seen some of the classics, I gotta recommend the classics, right? You guys have seen On the Waterfront, right? You guys have seen Chinatown, right? Tell me you've seen Solaris. Tell me that you've seen uh, A Streetcar Named Desire. All right. Tell me that you've seen all the Billy Wilder stuff, The Apartment, Seven Year Itch, Some Like It Hot, Ace in the Hole, Buddy Buddy. Tell me you've seen all the noir stuff. Tell me you've seen the Maltese Falcon. I need to hear that you've seen the Maltese Falcon. Hmm? Tell me that you've seen, uh, you know, Spartacus. I need to know. The Killing, that great early Stanley Kubrick, tell me that you've seen 2001 Space Odyssey. I, I, you, I, I simply must know that you've seen that. There are all these movies that you got to see. Tell me that you've seen Yo Himbo. Tell me that you've seen Seven Samurai. All right? Those are, those are the... <laughs> I hope you all took notes. Okay. Uh, Nomarda goes on to say, what goal do you think humanity's not focused enough on achieving? Wow. Holy shit. Well... I may win the peace, the Nobel Peace Prize for the answer to this question. I'm a classic liberal, right? So things that are important to me that won't surprise anyone would be things like, uh, you know, poverty, global poverty, climate change. These are things that uh, climate change, especially, uh, is extremely trepidatious, worrisome. The future, you know, the Earth, we're giving to our children. Uh, we're just not evolved to really care about shit other than ourselves and our own survival. But in a counterintuitive way, we're sort of destroying our future genetics and our and generations uh, that will ostensibly be passing on our genes. But anyway, we just can't even fathom that for some reason. On a less global level, I think more so in the States, I think what we're really failing at currently, just this tribalism issue. We love to be on a team. And we, when we're on a team, we love our team. And we will defend our team, even when we're wrong. And we hate the other team. It's insane. It is insane. And it will kill us all. And so the, the um, identity politics in America has just gotten nuts. It's gotten fucking nuts, dudes. And it will kill all of us. We're seeing it, you know? We're seeing it right now play out with how we are politicizing a pandemic, which should be one of the most apolitical things ever. Climate change should be apolitical. I mean, climate change doesn't give a fuck who you vote for. The virus doesn't give a fuck. Uh, what you think about abortion. So, you know, I used to think religion was a big problem. I really did. I, I hope that doesn't offend some of you. I just really thought it was kind of a, an ugly force in the world that, you know, Christopher Hitchens had this great quote where he said, religion is really the only the only thing that would convince a good person to do a bad thing. All things being equal, bad people do bad things, good people do good things. Religion is the only force in the world that would convince a good person to do a bad thing. Think about that. But in America... Religion has been domesticated, for sure. It's like the wolf that used to like eat the babies of you know the the duck, and now it's now the wolf comes up and it'll lick your cheek. No one cares anymore. Religion has lost a lot of power in the states. And here's what happened. Honestly, here's what happened. Something else took its place, and that's called identity politics. And it's way more insidious. It's arguably more dangerous. It's harder to circumvent. Harder to diagnose. Harder to solve the problem. But we are really letting our tribalism and our sense of I'm on this team, you're on that team, completely destroy reason and destroy our ability to come together to save our own fucking lives. Whew, buddy. Yikes. And on that happy note, let's listen to some metal, all right? I have this Lunar Satan project. I write a song that's seemingly like once a year. Although last month, I wrote two, which has basically completed the album. And I've, I've already kind of worked it out with Paul. He's going to start mixing it. So it is looking like Lunar Satan's going to happen this year. We did play this on an episode, but now here you go. Yet again, on Metal Up Your Podcast radio. Hope you're well out there. I didn't bum you out too much. Let's hear about some Satan in space and see if we can put a little medicine on that boo-boo. Here's Evoco Serpentum, which is Latin for wake the snake. It, folks that's some evil shit that is some evil shit when i sit down to write that material i'm like how can it be more evil how can this be fucked up i love it not cannibal corpse level because i'm not a sick fuck but just for me for the theater how can we make it darker and more satanic i love it i can't wait for you guys to hear the full thing it's going to be bitching all right let's move on to some questions here cthulhu 45 asks what's your favorite board or card game are there any games that are staples on the tour bus yes Uh, My favorite board games are both Monopoly and Scrabble. And I'll give the edge to Scrabble because Monopoly is brutal. Monopoly will demoralize you and it will turn you into a monster. And in fact, the game was invented as a warning about Monopolies. It was invented to scare society from embracing Monopoly theory. But no, because we're capitalistic, greedy, self-preserving fucks, we love destroying. Oh, when someone lands on my shit, pay me, motherfucker. I'll do the math real quick. Uh, beep, beep, beep. You owe me this, pay it now. Oh, you don't have the money? I'll take your properties. I'll ruin you, and I'll destroy you. That's Monopoly, and I love it. Uh, Scrabble's a little bit more wholesome. I do love to play Scrabble. I love, I love word puzzles, obviously. Words are my life. I love crossword puzzles. Those are big on the bus. Uh, those are the answers. That's the answers to those questions. Chow72 says, do you think you could ever get the Hulkster to be a guest on the show? And you and he could do a duet uh, of I want to be a Hulkamaniac. Well, I think Ethan may be more down for that than me. But of course, it'd be great to have the Hulkster on the show to regale us with his stories of auditioning for uh, the bass player of Metallica, which he keeps saying happened. Metallica keeps saying, no fucking way, Hulkie. The truth is somewhere out there. And we will find it. Chelsea Bowen says, "Do you have any favorite film-related Twitter or Instagram accounts that you follow?" It's interesting. I don't. There's a there's a, a a film critic on Twitter named Priscilla Page that I like a lot. I love her opinion. She's pretty funny. She's pretty snarky. There's a few like horror people I follow who like go to cons and dress up as Freddy Krueger and kind of keep my ear to the ground a little bit. I mainly keep up with film culture in on Reddit through the. Uh, movie subreddit, horror movie subreddit. There's one called Extreme Horror. There's a Criterion Collection subreddit. And that's mainly where I keep my ear to the ground for films. I follow Shudder, you know, just the the normal things. Nothing cool. Uh, I think probably what you're really asking is, do I follow anything cool that I could hip you to? And I don't think I do, unfortunately. I'm on Letterboxd, which is a way to keep up with the movies that you watch. And I'm on this other one. God, I just haven't been on it in forever. Shit. Oh, it's called Movies. You can find me on there. You can work through lists when I'm feeling a little bit better up in my head. uh, I'm usually working through different lists uh, and educating myself on different kinds of cinema. I'll sort of camp out with a director or camp out with a genre, camp out in a decade. I would encourage you film lovers out there to get on Letterboxd or iCheck movies and start, and, you know, get an agenda. Have an agenda for what you watch. Have an agenda for what you put in your fucking, in your mind. You know, set a goal. I want to watch this many movies this year. I really want to watch the greatest French movies. I want, to, I want to watch like 50 of the classics that I always put off. Give yourself a goal and work through it. First of all, you're going to see all those great movies and you're going to feel good about yourself, which is good. It's good to feel good about yourself. I'm told. Angelo Gonzalez says, what's your final meal request? Well, you could ask anyone close to me and they will tell you it is spaghetti, which is my favorite meal of all time. I could eat it morning, noon, night and day. I like shitty spaghetti in a can, and I've had the best spaghetti in it. I've had the best spaghetti of my life in Italy, in Milan. Loved them both almost equally. Okay, that's how much I love spaghetti. And with that, let's hear another song. This is a love song I wrote uh, during quarantine called "The Queen of Hearts." And my daughter was watching uh, the uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, so I was thinking about Lewis Carroll, who is someone I got into and through the Looking Glass and Thinking about how cool and how strange those stories are and how they're, you know, presented to kids. But they're if you really go back and check that through the looking glass and like Alice's Adventure in Wonderland, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. But also really awesome. So this is a, this is a song about being in love with the Queen of Hearts who is a murderous, uh, a horrible person. But you love her and you can't control that. And sometimes the women that you love, they'll destroy you in both awesome and not awesome ways. And so I think that's what the song's about. Maybe. I don't fucking know. It's called Queen of Hearts. I hope you enjoy it. She was a queen of hearts.
0: She's got death on her lips. She's got ruby red fire in her fingertips. Through the looking glass I see The orbit of her mouth But you can strike that rock with all you got No water's coming out Not now Nothing's ever gonna be the same And nothing's ever gonna be the way that it was ever said it would be this hard, said the queen of hearts. She's got a wonderland smile, smokes three packs a day. Some days you'd walk a mile to stay out of her way. But when she let you in her bed Well, it's better than croquet But she was strike you dead, dig off your head If you refuse to play her games Nothing's ever gonna be the same Nothing's ever gonna be the way that it was But no one ever said it would be so hard they said the Queen of Hearts Oh Victoria, Victoria So cool and calm Draw a map for me Was a queen of hearts. Now she haunts me like a ghost. Floating through the barrier lines, she disappears like smoke. And when the final curtain falls and she's taken her bowels, there'll be no one left to leave her. No one left to let her down Not now Nothing's ever gonna be the same Nothing's ever gonna be the way it used to be But no one ever said it would be this hard And no one ever said that we'd get this far Away from the start Said the queen of hearts
1: Said the Queen of Hearts, my friend Kevin Rapillo, once again, crushing the drums. He did that in one day. I I had the song in the song game. I'd written it. I don't remember what the phrase was. It may have even been Queen of Hearts. And I was like, dude, I need this like loopy kind of hypnotic Dylan Mercy thing. Can you do this for me today? And he's like, no problem. Send it. And then he sent it to me within like an hour. And it was, it came out perfect. No revisions. So I want to give him a shout out. Thanks, Kev Kev. I call him Kev Kev. The, first of all, I put the brief on Kevin, but then I double up on Kev. Kev Kev. It's not an efficient nickname, but it is a nickname that I say with love. Moving on with the questions here. They're, they're actually coming in also uh, as, I, as I work through this episode. So I'm going to try to get the ones that are popping up on my phone. Uh, Naho J. Tula says, do you like the movie White Man Can't Jump? Yes, I do like White Man Can't Jump. Because here's what I like. I like Woody Harrelson, all right? I like Wesley Snipes. When I was a kid, I really liked Rosie Perez. I like basketball. And I like movies with all those people in them that take place centered around the plot of basketball. So yes, I do need to revisit it and see if it holds up. I mean, I probably haven't seen it in 20 years. But being a kid of the 90s, I, of course, adored it and watched it, I don't know, a million times. I miss that about the 90s. In the 90s, there was just so much less to do. That you you listen to music more and you watch shit more. You just really soaked shit in. Because there really wasn't anything to do. But we didn't know there wasn't anything else to do. We were happy to do it. I was happy to watch White Men Can't Jump for the, I don't know, the 700th time in one summer. No problem. Hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. You want to watch White Men Can't Jump again? Yeah. You mean, well, we just watched it like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. You want to watch it again? Yeah. Okay, do you wanna watch White Man Can't Jump again or Biodome again? Hmm. Fuck it. Let's watch both of them again. Yeah, that was a great idea in the 90s. If you had that idea in the 90s, you blew your fucking friend's mind and they considered you a genius. And you know what? You were. Cause it's a good idea. And my voice is getting higher. All right, Tom Kui writes in, my homie from across the pond. He says, what do you consider to be the most overrated virtue? What a question, of course, from Tom Quee, Thoughtful Cat over there. Well, I think politeness is overrated. Now, I don't want you to confuse politeness with kindness, because kindness is extremely important and something I value deeply. But kindness is not politeness. Polite, and you got to keep in mind, too, I was ra- born and raised in the American South, where we're known for a little bullshit thing called southern hospitality, which is a bunch of bullshit. And a waste of time, inefficient waste of time, putting on airs, a bunch of fake shit. Because guess what people in the South are? Angry, mad, and often stupid, which is a horrible combination. So, they they passive-aggressively put all that behind Southern hospitality. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Please allow me to open the door for you. And then right under all that white, hot, hate. Okay. Trust me. I know it. I'm from, this is my shit. This is my blood. I'm not talking out of school here, homies. I live this shit. And that's what it is. Of course, it's not all that. A lot of really smart people, a lot of really beautiful people, a lot of truly kind people. But the politeness, eh. we can do without that as a society. I think a bigger, a big idea, like a big philosophical idea that I do think is overrated is the idea of turning the other cheek. I've always hated that idea. Because it's it's not like, here's what I tell my kid about bullies. I'm like, if there's ever a bully near you, move away from them. Get away from the bully. Tell them to stop. Tell them to leave you alone. They're probably not going to be like, oh, okay, as you wish. Because guess what? They're fucking bullies. So what? what's the tools and the plan and the strategy I can give my daughter For when I can't be there to shut that fucking bully down. The best strategy I can think of is to tell her to get the fuck away from them. Because they're dangerous. They're dangerous to you psychologically. And then later in life, which I tell her, I'm like, bullies exist your whole life. People grow up and they become bullies. Or they were always bullies. And you have to get away from those people. That's not turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is when someone hurts you or is trying to hurt you. And you turn the other cheek so they can do it to the other cheek. It's this strange... Passive, dangerous idea that you should let people hurt you. And I can't stand it. I really can't stand it. If someone's trying to hurt you, your commitment to nonviolence and peace is just going to get you hurt. It's going to put you in danger because that person doesn't give a fuck. In fact, they're like, oh, thank you. You've just made my evil shit a lot easier today. Whereas if you retaliate or you get away from them, you make it harder for that person who has a problem to hurt you. So that's how I would answer that. We got a couple more songs here. I, this is—is is this the bummer radio hour? I don't know. Maybe so. Let's listen to a song that's that's not a bummer. I don't think. And uh, then we'll do some more questions, and then we'll get the hell out of here, so you can go on with your day. I do appreciate you guys listening to Metal Up Your Podcast Radio, letting me uh, pontificate and talk and and uh, stand on the boot of the car, as it were, and shout out admonitions about which films you should see. And I will be checking back on your progress. Okay, this is a song called Words We Will Never Say. My friend Brad Lyons came to my house. My wife went out of town. My kid was out of town. And I was scared of being alone because I wasn't well mentally. I'll just say it. I was scared to be alone. My friend Brad, who I love, came to help me and just spend time with me. Isn't that amazing that there are people in your life who can do these things for you? They can save you. So he came over and... The night before, we did a socially distanced hang on my back porch with a a projector and we watched a a Chicago Bulls game from, I don't remember which game we watched, maybe the 97, 98 championship game against the Jazz. Had a lot of fun, had some beers. And then the next day was just me and Brad hanging out and we wrote a song together. And that's the song that I'm about to play for you right now. It's very Post Malone inspired. It doesn't sound like Wiener Satan. It doesn't sound like Queen of Hearts. It doesn't sound like Attention Machine. It doesn't sound like Taylor Swift's new album. It sounds like uh, some modern pop stuff Which I think is fun to write sometimes And it's a sad song But it has a lot of it, it has a good pace to it And it moves And I hope you like it It was a joy to write this With my friend Brad It's called The Words We Will Never Say Here it is Well she didn't
0: even make a sound. can't fight if you can't be found but she could have turned it all around she wasn't
1: And there you have it. The words we will never say. written with my friend Brad Lyons, channeling that posty vibe. All right, so some of these have come in on Instagram during the duration of this episode. I want to get to these, then I'll play you one final little songy song and let you get about your business. Alexanderson Band says, what are your thoughts on the Sin City movies? I've never seen them. Never seen them all the way through. They're obviously like hyper stylized, very cool, but I was never into the comic. I, I never really had a connection to it. Never really a reason to see it. They're not generally considered like must-see films. They're just great for the genre and great if you were already a fan of the story, which I wasn't. So I don't uh, have a negative feeling about it, but I don't really have any, I have kind of a neutral feeling about it. I do like that Carla Giugliano chick from Entourage is in it. She's a cutie pie. So maybe that's, well, maybe that's a reason enough to watch it. I don't know. Uh, the Metallica Girl says, what's something you're, you're going to do that you can't do now once COVID goes bye-bye? Is there a specific restaurant you missed? Did you have shows planned, et cetera? That's a thoughtful question. Uh, it, not so much a specific place, but definitely being able to hang out with my friends just to get a, a fucking coffee or a cocktail. I will never take that for granted again. It's been a very lonely quarantine vibe. I do two weekly Zooms with two friend groups, and there's another friend group that I do, I play basketball with. But it's just you know, it's, there's a lot of duress involving the basketball and the hang because it's, we, we have to stay away from each other. I don't ever go in anyone's house, taking your own booze, not sharing meals. There's something very just wrong about it. Stagnated and hard, hard to connect with these weird boundaries. So I'm definitely not going to take that for granted when we're able to do that again. I miss that so much. And, and I'm, definitely a pretty introverted person. I'm not someone who really needs that that often. So I can't imagine for my homies out there who really are extroverted, who really thrive on being around people who haven't been able to do that. I really empathize with the pain of that. I'm in pain. The whole world's in pain. The whole world is experiencing a fucking trauma right now. And if you are an empath, not only are you in your own shit, but you're just feeling it all. It's a fucking nightmare. And so that connection to the people that you love and who get you through that, who save you, I'm going to cherish that for sure. Shows, I was never, I'm was i not a big show guy. So um, other than playing shows, <laughs> doing my job, which is, for those of you who don't know, I'm a touring musician, so my entire industry is completely shut down. So I do miss working and playing gigs, seeing people get off on the music, being around that atmosphere. That's what I do. It's what I know. And I'm just cooped up here writing these depressing songs. So thoughtful question. I do appreciate that, and I hope that whatever you guys are looking forward to, your favorite pizza place, your favorite Chinese place, your favorite fucking burger, your favorite beer, your favorite shitty dive bar, I hope they all survive the shutdown, and I hope that you guys get back to it soon, because I feel your pain. I share it with you. ShowKeyFan01 says, if you could play one song with Metallica live on stage, which one would it be? Ooh, it would either be Creeping, I mean, I wish I could play Creeping Death, like at their level. That would be the one I would want to play if I could play it. But I don't know if I could. I would try. But a song I know that I could nail, like right now, I could walk on stage with them and nail it, would be For Whom the Bell Tolls. For those of you who know how to play out there, it's just really simple to play. Um, You can have fun doing it. You can rock out. You're not sitting there looking at your hands like, don't fuck it up. You're with Metallica. I'd love to play The Unforgiven 2 with the band. I'd love to play Fade to Black. And I would love to share the solos with Kirky Poo. Um, I'd love to play Attitude. I'd love to play Until It Sleeps, any song. But the number one, if they were like, all right, dude, all right, dude, it's your shot. Um, What do you want to play? I would say Creeping Death or Bells. I believe that might be all the questions. I'm going to check Twitter one more time. Yep, we're good on questions. Oh, nope, that wrong Twitter account. I have too many Twitter accounts for all my podcasts. Yeah, there we go. That's all the questions. Awesome. Well, thanks to everyone who uh, wrote in, everyone who listened. It's been good to connect with you guys. Again, it's been five months since I've done a radio episode. This is crazy. Uh, next time I do a radio episode, I will be playing for you music that I've been listening to and digging. And actually, we did get an email. Let me read this real quick. This is from Chris Kakamis, who plays all the bass on the Lunar Satan stuff. Let's see. He says, I had an idea that could hopefully become a future Metal of Your Podcast series. Rather than hear a cold read of the listeners' top 10 songs, I'd very much like to hear either one or preferably both of you host a weekly radio show featuring different top 10 playlists curated by patrons. I think it'd be a great opportunity to hear some deep cuts like Poor Twisted Me, Suicide and Redemption, or Heaven Forbid, Junior Dad, which is from Lulu. It would also be fun to hear different live versions of classic songs. For example, Four Horsemen from Clan 2003, Inner Sandman from The Masonic, the rehearsal version of Purify, 10 from Demo Magnetic, the radio edit versions of Some Kind of Monster, etc., I'm sure there'll be a handful of repeat songs here and there, but I argue you're not a true Metallica fan if you can't handle hearing Creeping Death at least once a week. Anyway, thank you guys again for all you do. Proud to be a Patreon supporter. Look forward to hopefully connecting with you in Nashville this October. Chris, Las Vegas, New Jersey. So that might be something we can do a little more often too. But I do know the next one I do will, will feature music I've been listening to because I like turning you guys on to stuff. What can I say? It's been nice having the metal of your podcast family during this crazy shit. And uh, I'm going to leave you now with a song called Over which is about how sometimes when a relationship ends, you just can't imagine anything more painful. It feels like a part of you is gone, especially if you didn't want it to end, but it had to end, right? And then there's this weird thing where one day you wake up and you don't care about it anymore. You don't think about it anymore. Something that seemed impossible, which is that you would no longer care about this thing. It it happened. You don't care about it much anymore. And then with that perspective, sometimes you even think, I'm glad it's done, I'm glad it's done. And I wrote the song about that, I was in so much pain about this thing ending, and it was so unbearable that I couldn't even really think about it. I had to just distract myself, and then one day I came out of that cloud, and I didn't feel that anymore, and I was just so relieved, I could cry. And that's what the song's about, it's called Over, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and split after this song, so I hope you guys are well, take care of yourselves, take the virus seriously, wear a mask, keep your distance, stay home if you can, and uh, love one another. Don't be polite, be kind.
0: that